joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It's so good to be with you this morning and to take the opportunity to worship with you. Uh, it is always just something that I look forward to, being with you and just worshiping God with you on a Sunday morning uh, and being with you in a time of study. And I hope that it is something that you've been looking forward to and preparing your heart for as we get into our lesson here in just a few moments. Before we get into that, I want to offer a challenge. And I want you to think about this challenge for the next few weeks as we are uh, in uh, to December now. Uh, we are wrapping up a year. And as we wrap up a year, we tend to begin to look at the next year. So we, we kind of, you know, end and begin kind of in one kind of uh, continual motion in our lives. And what I want you to think about with me, the challenge that I want to put out in front of you is the first Sunday of the year of 2023. I want us to make an attendance goal for us. I want us to have at least 200 people here that Sunday. 200 people here that first Sunday of the year. Throughout this year, we, we have seen our attendance take some pretty good um, growth jumps uh, when, when everybody is well and everyone is here. Uh, we're knocking on the door of 200 being our normal Sunday, like I said, when everybody's well and when everybody's in town. And, and what I want you to do is kind of twofold. Number one, I want you to make it a personal goal for you to start out 2023 here with us. Um, here with us, and, and making that day an important day. It's the first day of the year, um, not just on the first, but it is the first day of the year and the first day of the week. It all lines up at the same time, and I want you to make a commitment to that Sunday, and every Sunday, but that Sunday in particular with this challenge of saying, I'm going to be here. I'm going to start my year with my church family. And then take that a step further and say, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm with them every Sunday that I can be. Make that a priority. Now, the second step of that is this. I want you to look around the room. And I want you to look at um, not the people who are here, but think about the people who aren't. The people that you know over the last year, over the last couple of years, have kind of eased away and maybe slid away, uh, taken steps away from God. I want you. If you can think of those people and you notice those people not being here, I want you to make the effort over the next three weeks to reach out to those people, next four weeks, to reach out to those people and encourage them to be here with us that Sunday as well. Using the same spill if you want. Hey, it's the first day of the year. It's the first day of the week. Come and just be with us and, and start this year looking at Jesus. Looking at the cross, being with your church family. So that's my challenge to you. We're going to talk about this challenge every time we're together now for the next few weeks so that you don't forget it. Um, but we want to have at least 200 here that Sunday. Let's start the year out better than we've done since, uh, since COVID. Okay, since COVID. We've talked about how we're moving forward. Things are going well. We're not having to worry about some of those things like we did. Let's make it a goal to make another good step as into 2023 as we join uh, that year uh, and, and just get ready to run in it. Just get ready to run in it. Uh, let's go to God in prayer, and then well, we're going to look at our text and, and our lesson together. 
God, we thank you so much for the chance to just be in this room together, to be united in spirit, to be united in love, to be united in purpose today, God. We pray now that we are united in your word, uh, that you will uh, grant us a, a productive time of looking at different parts of, of the Bible this morning as we talk about uh, the most amazing gift that any of us have ever received, and that is the gift of Jesus. Help us to understand the significance of that in our life so that we can live our life to the fullness as you have promised us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we are, uh, I guess, let's, let's start this morning in our text that we're kind of looking at together. It's kind of the basis for this particular study from Isaiah chapter 9. There's, uh, we talked about last week that Isaiah is a prophet some 700 years before Jesus, and at times his job was to share with the, the Israelites some things that they had done wrong, a message from God. But in chapter 9 in particular, he has given, uh, God has given Isaiah, you know, a, a prophetic view, a prophetic view of he's looking into the future and he's writing about Jesus and, and what is to come with Jesus. And this is what he says about him in verse 6. And this is the launching pad for our conversation for the next few weeks. Uh, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And we're looking at these names and he will be called, say them with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so last week we talked about the idea of Wonderful Counselor and how Jesus is this, this person that wants to come into our lives and help guide our lives and position our lives in certain directions so that we can live a wonderful life. And we can't have wonderful without who? The counselor. So we can't have wonderful without the counselor. And so today we, we move from the first idea to the second idea of mighty God. Mighty God. Now, I do think that it is interesting that even though we are talking about Jesus in this message, in this verse, that this is who Isaiah is writing about, that even though he's writing about Jesus, you can see through the titles, that even Jesus has the ability to claim the fullness of God. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, is we understand that God is, is trifold in nature. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And even Scripture says that Jesus can claim the fullness of God. And you see that in the description here. We're not going to get too deep into it, but you see that in this passage. Wonderful Counselor to me is a reference of what does Jesus say as he's walking with his disciples. One day he says, I've got to leave you, but I'm going to send the what? The counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He's called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, which are titles of God the Father. And then the title that is mentioned in other places in Scripture to define Jesus, Prince of Peace. And so even in this verse where we're talking about Jesus, it's also dealing with the greater image of the Godhead. And we're going to see that as we kind of talk about this phrase of mighty God this morning. But I want to, to do a little Hebrew with you, if you will. Do a little bit of Hebrew with you. It says that he shall be called, and in the Hebrew it's El Gabor. All right, so El is just a, is, is the name or, or a way that you say God. But then Gabor within the Hebrew means basically two things, mighty and warrior. It's translated both ways throughout uh, the Old Testament. And I got to thinking about that this week. I got to thinking about that this week, that when we think about Jesus, especially this time of year, 
Okay, well, let's just think about this time of year right now. Right here where we are in the Christmas holiday kind of time, the, the image and view of Jesus that is seen more than any is the image of which, which kind of Jesus? What kind of Jesus? Baby Jesus. And, and it's a, it is a, it is a, image of Jesus that is very non-threatening, right? Uh, babies, I mean, just, we've got a room full of babies. Um, got a room full of babies. I, I thought about having you hold your babies up, but then I thought, you know, that might be kind of weird. I don't know. But if you've got a baby around you, look, look at that baby and just kind of get a good, good glimpse of it. Is there anything about those babies that you look at and you go, hmm, mighty warrior? You know, unless, you know, it's 3.30 in the morning and you're like, they have defeated me. I cannot get them to go to bed, right, Tanner? Like, um, but this this image of kids, of little babies, even even as you get up to you know older you know older children. I mean, there's not many of our elementary age kids that you look at and say, "Who mighty warrior?" You know, that's the one I'm going to battle with. But this time of year, when we think of Jesus, and I think a lot of times when we think of Jesus, I don't think the idea of mighty warrior Jesus is the first thing that comes to mind, right? It's not the first thing that we go, oh, Jesus, mighty warrior. But when you look at Scripture, and when you look at some of the writings of the New Testament, you see that that's a very accurate picture of Jesus. Because first and foremost, when we become children of God, we are placed into the army of God, right? That, that's, a, that's a scriptural idea. And we're fighting a spiritual battle. Paul talks about that in the book of Ephesians. I mean, he tells us, he said, hey, you've got to change clothes. This is one of the messages of Ephesians. You've got to change clothes. You've got to take off this old stuff, and you've got to put on this new outfit. And that new outfit is, a, is an, an outfit of what? Armor. So if I've got to put on armor to go to war with Satan and the things in the spiritual realm, I don't want baby Jesus to be my leader. How many of you want baby Jesus to be your leader in that situation? Versus how many of you want mighty warrior God? I want mighty warrior God. And like I said, it's maybe an image that we don't think a whole lot about, but even David understood it. David talks about it. And in Psalms, Psalms chapter 24, starting in verse 7, he says, lift up your head, your gates. Uh, you, 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 I say, lift up your head, you gates be lifted up, you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift, lift them. I say, I've repeated that, haven't I? I've repeated that. So let's stay right here in verse 10. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. David understood the significance of the Lord Almighty. Same word here, the, the, the warrior idea of Lord. And, and I can see why David would understand that. Because David's a warrior, right? That was a part of, I think, God that really kind of he, he keyed into and that he really held on to, and that he understood, because that was who he was. He was the warrior king in many, many ways. But I love the fact that we have this warrior God, this warrior Jesus, this mighty God, because unlike the song, uh, how, how does the song go? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Just let me ask you this morning. How many of your lives right now 
are calm and bright. Versus how many of you are like, I've got struggles and challenges that I'm facing every day. As great as that song is, that doesn't necessarily always describe the life that we're living. And so when we're facing challenges, when we're facing struggles, as, as we talked about in this whole series that we just wrapped up, this idea that, um, this idea that we are fighting against a culture that does not want us to win, right? So we may have our own kind of spiritual struggles and our own maybe life struggles, but then we're also in an environment that, um, that the, the world is against us. If we stand for Him and with Him, the world is going to be against us. And so in that idea, in that moment, it is so comforting for me to, for me to know and for me to understand that I have a God I have a God, I have a Savior, I have a Counselor that is described as a mighty warrior. And that if I'm going to go into battle, I've got the greatest mighty warrior going ahead of me in battle and helping me fight these battles every single day. So this is what I want us to talk about this morning as we dig into this. The mighty God has come to win the war in you, for you, and through you. Say that with me. The mighty God has come to win the war in you, for you, and through you. So let's talk about this first idea. The mighty God has come to win the war in you. Um, I'm going to kind of break this down into two kind of thoughts here, okay? The, the thought, two thoughts that I want you to, James chapter 1, if you want to turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, both of these texts come from this, this particular passage. But the first thing I think that in that battle is that God wants to replace your failures with faith, all right? God is battling within you to replace your failures with faith. The first idea comes from James 1, verses 2 through 8. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If you lack, uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable. So the first idea that I want you to think about here is he is wanting to win the battle within you. Is he understands that, hey, we're going to fail. You're not going to succeed in everything in life. You're not going to. You're going to struggle along the way. You're going to have, he says, consider it pure joy when, you are, when your faith is tested. And there's going to be times when that faith is tested that you're not going to pass the test. But the purpose of that test is to turn ultimately that failure into greater faith. That when I do fail at times, I understand that through that failure I can grow. One of my favorite, favorite stories in the Bible is from the life of David. David is, is probably my favorite Bible character across the board. And uh, for years, I would have said that David and Goliath is my favorite story within his life. But I think maybe uh, over the last several years, as I've studied more, maybe taught David more, I think the, one of my favorite stories, the favorite kind of period of David's life is um, that period of um, his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And you're like, well, why would your favorite part of his story be about failure? 
because it was his failure that grew his faith. And here you've got a guy that's called the man after God's own heart. And that is a huge standard to live up to, right? Huge standard to live to. The man after God's own heart. But what we see in David is that David, even in his failure, his life got totally turned upside down in that moment. He, he had the affair. There's this baby. He has her husband killed. I mean, if someone walked in our building this morning and came forward and that was their confession this morning, I mean, we would all be like, yeah, we got to forgive him. He's come and he's asked for... But look at your face right here. Like Your face is like, whoa, that would be real heavy. Like, I know what the lunch conversation would be if Ron came forward this morning and was like, I've killed my wife. How many of you would be talking about Ron at lunch? Okay, now the rest of you are lying. Only Kevin's the only one that will admit it. But everybody else could be talking about Ron at lunch. But that story is so powerful because of what happens after that. And we've talked about this before. As David is praying for his son to live, he understands, he understands what's going to happen. He understands his son's going to lose his life. He prays and he prays and he prays. He prays in his moment of failure over and over and over. And when his servant comes and says, hey, he's, 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 he's gone, he gets up, he puts his clothes on, and he goes and eats dinner. And his servant is so confused. He's like, what in the world are you doing? Why are you not great? And he says, this is where it produces faith. He says, I cannot bring him back, but I can what? I can go to him. He said, I have failed, but through God's grace and God's mercy, He is going to help me take this failure and turn it into greater faith. You see, that's what grace does. Grace takes your failures and makes it look like it was part of God's plan. And so you grow in those moments. So as he's battling, as he's fighting this battle in you, God, he's wanting to replace your failures with faith. But then as we go on to the next section here in chapter 1, he wants to replace death with discipleship. So let's go to verse 13. Um, actually, no, let's back up and yeah, let's start in verse 13. Uh, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed by their own evil desire, okay? Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what he says here is, you go through this process of sin, right? You go through this process of sin. We started out just talking about trials and just messing up, but then he's really into this sin idea, and he's like, look, when you sin, you cannot blame this on God. Sin is not God's fault. Sin is your fault. Take ownership of it. The sin in your life is your fault. And if you let it keep going, ultimately, it's going to lead you to death. And not just physical death, although it can do that. He's talking more importantly about spiritual death. A complete disconnect from God. Where you no longer put yourself in a situation where you receive His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. You've shut that out. It's not that He's not willing to give it. You're shutting it out. You're refusing it. It's like, Mom's setting the plate down on the table and going, I don't want that. And you walk away from it. Hey, supper's there. It's your fault you didn't eat. What he wants to do is he wants to replace that death with a life of discipleship. He wants to intervene. If you've been with us on our Wednesday night class, we've talked about how God has a tendency in this cycle of sin to intervene with grace. And that grace comes in and says, look, there's something better. 
I can help you overcome this. I can help you replace this sin in your life with righteousness. And when you replace righteousness in your life, and that's what you're living, you live into a life of discipleship. And so he want, as he's battling for you, he wants to replace that death that is going to come in your life with discipleship and living for Jesus. So the mighty God, he wants to win the battle in you. Here's the next idea. The next idea here is that uh, the mighty God has come to win the war in you, to win the war in you and for you. He wants to win the war in you and win the war for you. Um, you know, like we've talked about over the last few weeks uh, prior to this lesson, is that the world in its fallen nature stands against us. And, and that's really what Jesus is going to go on and say here in the book of John. So if you start in the book of John and look in verse 15, in verses 18 through 20, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, um, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So, so just kind of take that, just, just that verse at face value. He's saying this, the world's going to hate you. Don't be surprised. If you're living for me, the world's going to hate you. But hey, I've been there. I've been there. But I, pay attention to this phrase right here. But I have chosen you out of the world. I've taken you out of that. I have, I have taken you away from that, and I'm, I'm sheltering you, okay? Sheltering you from the majority of the blows. He's our warrior God. He's our mighty God. We're still going to face some of the impact of the challenges, but Jesus says, I've already come. I've already been through it. I've won the war. I'm here to absorb the blows. I've chosen you. I'm, I'm protecting you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teachings, they will obey yours also. So he's kind of painting this picture. But nothing is more powerful than this to understand. that he's saying, look, I've been there and I've overcome it. If I can do it, you can do it. But I'm here. I'm here to take on this battle for you. Now, another passage that I think is, is really neat in this idea comes from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 44, 46 through 55. And, and I just want to kind of paint this, this picture for you because it's, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus, dreaming about her son. Dreaming about what her son's going to become. And, and, and as I look around this room and I do see a room full of kids, a room full of babies, uh, moms, dads of the little, little babies. I know that through your pregnancies and, and through the first few months and, and even first few years of their life, you sit and you wonder and dream about what are they going to become? What are they going to accomplish? You know, all, all, what, what great things are they going to be able to do in their life? And Mary is thinking about this. And we have a record of some of her heart here but what's so impressive about Mary, I believe, here is that she gets it. She gets that it's not just about the here, but it's about the spiritual. It's not just about what's he going to accomplish here, what's he going to accomplish here, and how is that going to affect everything that is to come. And so she says these words. She says, 
my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercies extend to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds, and his arm with his arm, he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down uh, rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's, she, see what she's doing? She's painting this picture of Jesus going ahead and winning the battle. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering uh, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she understood mighty God. She understood that her son was going to come and her son was going to fight the battle for us. And ultimately, that battle was won on the cross. As you think about that idea, though, I, I want to take you back, maybe many of you, to Sunday school. To Sunday school. Think way back for some of you way back, some of you not that long ago. But think back to the years that you spent as a child in Sunday school. And think about the great Sunday school stories, the great vacation Bible school stories. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've got three guys who said, I'm not going to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And where do they end up in? They end up in the fiery furnace, right? And in the fiery furnace, they're standing there, but they're not burning up. And all of a sudden, the fourth person shows up, the angel of the Lord, and he protects them, and he takes care of them. You fast forward into that story in the book of Daniel, and you've got a guy named Daniel, the guy that wrote the book, and he's going to keep praying. No matter what anybody says, he's going to pray to his God. Where does that end? him. Where does he end up because of that? In the lion's den. And, and how many of you are like, hey, if I was in the lion's den, I wouldn't be calm. I wouldn't be keep it all together because you're afraid you're going to be eaten. But what does God do to the mouths of those lions? He shuts them. David shows up one day to just take some lunch to his brother. And all of a sudden, Goliath is out there and he's yelling and he's screaming profanities against God. And David's like, hey, aren't you going to do anything? And he says, hey, I'll do it. How many of you would have lined up and gone toe to toe with David? Probably not many of you because of all the armies of Israel, only one guy who wasn't even in the army shows up and says, I'll do something. But do you know what these stories do? Do you know what these stories do when we thought about Jonah and him being in the belly of that whale, that big fish for, for those days and then being spit out? Do you know what we did and sometimes what we still do is we put ourselves as kids in that moment, didn't we? And we thought about what it would have been like if I was in that furnace, or if I was in that lion's den, if I was standing in front of David, if I was in the belly of that great fish, we put ourselves there. But do you know what that moment does in our development? It prepares our hearts and our minds for our own trial by fire, for our own spiritual giants that we're going to have to face. See, Scripture is there to remind us and to prepare us for our own battles, but also to instill within us the trust that God is fighting right there with us, right there for us, and that through Him, we are going to win the battle. Amen? Here's the last thing, and then the lesson will be yours. The mighty God has come to win the war in you, for you, and through you. 
and through you. Uh, we, we, we will end on this verse. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I like that. I like that because there are times in our life that we're going to have some doubts, but that shouldn't change the fact that we worship God. We should still worship. But he understands, hey, you, you may not get it all and you're going to doubt, but that's okay. That's okay. We can work through that. We can overcome that. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is such an important verse because this is God's plan A for the growth of the church. There is no plan B. Plan A is for you to go and make disciples. Plan A is for you to go out and teach people what Jesus has commanded and for you to baptize them and make them disciples and teach them to then go do the same thing. We had a period of time in our history uh, within the church where the main place of evangelism happened in the building. We brought people to hear the preacher and he evangelized to them. And I'm not saying that that was wrong, or that it was bad because it was very effective for a period of time. But unfortunately, we're in a period of time where now it's not just about bringing people to hear one voice. They're not going to just show up because you've invited them a lot of times. Now, we don't want to stop, and it's not as a, a discouragement, but what I'm telling you is, is this has to be the priority of your life. You have to take this verse personal. Because for God to win the world through us, we have to participate in the process. We have to be active. We have to say, God has won my heart. God has won the world around me. He's fighting for me. Now, I want to take that which I have and share it with other people. I want to give them the message of God. It's not my job to do your evangelizing. It's not my job to make your disciples that you bring to Jesus. It's our job. Not just one of us, not two or three of us. It's all of our job to live out this command of Jesus. The mighty God has said, I want to win the world, but I'm going to win it through my followers. And so we need to make sure as we wrap up this year and move into another, as we think about how awesome it is to have God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our life, are we turning around and sharing that awesomeness with other people? That is God's plan. And if we don't participate, there is no plan B. There is no plan C. If we give up, there's nothing else. Satan wins. So let's not be a group of people who give up. So, he shall be called Mighty God. And I hope that when you hear that phrase, when you hear those words from now on, you think about the mighty warrior God that fights the battle with you, in you, and through you every single day. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the chance to be in your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to study the mighty God this morning. We pray that it touches our lives and impacts our life and, and gives us courage to fight even greater battles knowing that you're there with us. 
Thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his death, his burial, his resurrection. We thank you for sending him to us to live. We just thank you for everything about him, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Again, one of the greatest things that we can do is to follow Jesus, to follow the mighty God. But God himself says, to follow me, to believe in me, you must have your sins washed away in baptism, confessing those sins, calling on the name of Jesus. If you've not taken that step and that commitment this morning, we encourage you to do that, as Scripture has said. If you have and you're just struggling and you need help, you need the counselor this morning, let us help you come into a better contact and a better relationship with the counselor so that the mighty warrior God can help you with your struggles. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Mortals join the mighty chorus Which and Twitter morning stars began for the love Be sure to join us again and until then remember to love like Jesus man to man.